Hello and welcome to Musicians Talk. My guest is Philly singer-songwriter John Fay. After 25 years of fronting bands like The Caulfields and Ike, he decided to release his first album simply under the name John Fay in 2015. We met up recently to discuss this album as well as his plans for an upcoming memoir and many other things. Here's Miss America from this session. All right, here we go. I miss America but I don't get the feeling that she's missing me back I miss America But she don't want to see that I've been under attack They say you never know how lucky you are You gotta have a tank of gas in the car Hit the pedal and go Hit the pedal and So why she wanna leave me when she need me the most? This is America, but she just wants her very own reality show. It's getting hard to get my heart to pretend. Thought she would never, but she fooled me again. Honey, where do we go? How the hell should I? <laughs> I still got it. After yeah. Five days of retirement. <laughs> um, yeah, I was I was almost scared this wouldn't uh, happen because of uh, something I saw online 
So you're working on a memoir, which is very exciting. What inspired that? Yeah, well, it's something I've been thinking about for a while, probably about five years. Um, I guess the whole idea of it um, came to me shortly after my mom passed away, and um, I started to feel uh, a fair amount of regret at having not sat down with her. Um, I had spoken to her kind of casually, you know, as she was growing older, you know, I, I was like, you know, we should just sit down and I should, you know, interview you about your life just so those stories are not lost. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, I never did that. Um, so, but when she passed away, I definitely kind of got it in my head that um, there were stories of my own to tell. And um, so, much, so much of that story is intertwined with her. So in a way, by telling my own story, I would be honoring her mm -hmm. at the same time. So that's kind of, you know, what kind of put it in my mind. So why does that take five years to, like, make you, like, <laughs> take the plunge? I mean, it's a big step. And um, obviously, at that point, I still had a lot going on that I wanted to achieve musically. Um you know, because within that time, uh, you know, I wrote and worked on my Meddling Kid record, which was, you know, kind of like a personal uh, milestone for me because I played everything on it and it was something that I had always wanted to do as well. Um, and, you know, as time kind of went on, you know, I had a bit of a like a milestone birthday last year and that that kind of like made me say to myself you know it's if you're gonna do this it's now or never yeah kind of a thing so um it seemed to be like a logical uh point in my musical life where I could kind of step back and try something new I think you know a lot of a lot of my dreams have been fulfilled so <laughs> this is the get, next one i don't want to get too greedy <laughs> with the music thing um and you know it's it's just something that i think has been kind of like bubbling under uh within me for mm -hmm. a while so it's it's time to kind of you know let the steam out <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like it's almost like uh, a favor for your kids to make sure they don't have that same sense of you know loss uh, or regret somewhere know, down the line <laughs> now that you mention it it <laughs> might be put that way it's uh you know that thought um yeah obviously <laughs> occurs to you um you know when you uh, you start to think about the uh cyclical nature of life and how you know you want to kind of take the best parts of your parents and kind of like incorporate that into who you are and uh you know and that sort of trickles down into not wanting to uh have your kids suffer in <laughs> any way in the ways that you might have um and so yeah that's that's definitely something that uh hopefully when it's done will um you know be a little something that they can hold on to but I have to say there's probably going to be some stories in there that are going to make them want to disown me anyway. <laughs> uh, it's good to know that it'll be so honest though and that you're really going to include everything well 
most yeah, everything. Yeah, I don't least. know if uh, if uh, every that's the th- one of the, <laughs> actually I'll say this one of the things that I've been doing um, uh, since kind of having made my decision to dive into this is to try to you know educate myself about the form of memoir. So one of the uh, great um, authorities on this is this woman Mary Carr, and um, she speaks at great length about. Um, you know, finding your true voice in, in how to present your stories, and also how are you going to frame the story? She's a woman who actually has written three different memoirs, and they all kind of focus on different <clears throat> aspects and times in her life. And when I found out that she had three of them, I was like, oh, maybe I need to split all this up. But then, <laughs> you know, I don't know which thought became more daunting, like writing more than one book or trying to cram everything into one book. Mm -hmm. So I've done a lot of um, thinking as to, you know, what are the bookends of the story? Because it's obviously not going to be like, you know, I was born on a (laughs) cold November night. You know, um, you don't want to start there. You kind of have to start almost in the middle and then kind of find what telling your stories... um, what threads run through all those things Mm -hmm. you know she said something pretty interesting like if you're a if you're a fiction writer you create events uh to fit sort of an assigned theme and when you're a memoir writer you document the events and you draw the themes from that Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a a whole different process Mm -hmm. so there you go (laughs) I don't even remember what the original question was, but that's your answer. <laughs> no, that was a good answer. Um, you mentioned the Meddling Kid album, and yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it's the first album that you did all the instruments, and it's the first album that was released under the name John Fay. Right, yeah, so it was all, all, the, uh, all the band names have been stripped away. <laughs> yeah, what inspired that after over 20 years of be- fronting all these bands? I guess it was just time to uh for me to just sort of put myself out there uh on my own you know um sorry about my phone. that's fine I don't know why it's <laughs> um yeah i mean i obviously had been part of a number of different bands um and i was pretty much either the primary songwriter or co-writer in all of those bands. But um, I, I think in, in some ways it was just um, a way to uh, express myself more completely. And also, after having been in a lot of bands, you know, and, and the sort of the processes and the dynamics of those, uh, those setups, um, you know, they vary from... Uh, instance to instance but basically I didn't I didn't want to have to answer to anybody or ask yeah. anybody what their opinion was <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I I worked with Stephen LaFasha who has uh, been my recording engineer on a lot of projects and obviously plays in those meddling kids when he's available to mm-hmm. uh, he was basically the person that I uh, bounced anything <laughs> off of and I kind of trust him implicitly mm-hmm. uh, but in terms of any other uh, any other opinions? I just I don't think I was interested. In 
<laughs> and uh you know it, it was what it was yeah it was kind <clears throat> of your first sense of like entire freedom would you say just like yeah that. i mean it was it's it's a sense of freedom and it's also a sense of um you kind of know your your own abilities better than any anyone else and mm-hmm. and so i i, I kind of knew what I was capable of and how I wanted the songs to sound, you know, there was really no having to filter a musical idea through mm. another person, which on most occasions is a great thing, you know, collaborating and, and uh, obviously having the input of people that can play way better than you. I mean, <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, it's great to have a, a group around me, like the people in those meddling kids, like mm. performing those songs because they are playing those parts like way better than <laughs> i would if i had to sit here and reproduce them i mean you know like a lot it's kind of funny like you know some of the more intricate guitar stuff on that record is very painstakingly uh you know edited together let's say <laughs> uh, i remember like one specific thing like um one of the uh, assistant engineers on on the record was this guy aaron deming who uh, was a former student of mine uh, from Drexel University. He mm-hmm. plays in a really awesome band called Blame Candy currently. And uh, he was like, you know, it would sound really cool if at the end of this song you did like, uh, you know, one of those bendy things where it's like... <laughs> I was like, I've never played that. I'm not a lead <laughs> guitar player. but but so And this is the kind of thing that this guy or LaFasha could have done in like literally like three seconds. And it took me like probably like 15 takes just to just to go like you know it was comical and yet you know i i I was not about to have like that be the only thing i didn't play on it and i loved the idea yeah so i was like i'm gonna get this Mm -hmm. so eventually i got it but it took like an hour (laughs) um yeah you've been playing and releasing for as far as i know at least like 20 years probably yeah further i mean back. if you go all the way back to like my first indie college band before um we became the Caulfields, which were signed to a major label mm-hmm. i think i have a total of 13 records wow um so and that dates back to 1990 mm-hmm. wow so what is it like to I mean, it seems like you are constantly inspired. So what would you say to someone who is in a sort of creative slump? Well, I would actually argue that I'm not constantly inspired. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the height of my creative output would probably have been like the mid-aughts in the 2000s Mm -hmm. um, when like it was just like song after song after song. But primarily um i think as i've as i've gotten older um maybe i'm i'm just sort of being more patient with inspiration <laughs> and not really trying to force it you know cuz when when you're in a band that's like actually out there and trying to you know make a mark in whatever way you can mm-hmm. i mean you you put pressure on yourself to produce um, so that's why there were, you know, between like 2003 and 2011, there was like 
five like records or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, a pretty good pace for like an unsigned independent band. You know, yeah. Um, but I think after a while, I just kind of became more uh, of the attitude like, well, you know, inspirational hit you when it hits <laughs> you, man. You know, like so if you're asking me to. Um, give advice as to you know like if someone has writer's block i would mm-hmm. i would say stop worrying about the fact that you're not writing and go out and live your life mm-hmm. you know that's the most i mean that's where you're going to draw something from if you're if you're you know spending hours every day like s- sitting with your guitar yeah. fruitlessly you know strumming you know gd and c or whatever <laughs> that's not going to inspire you, mm-hmm. you know, going out and, um, having an experience yeah. is what would hopefully make that happen. Yeah. You know, so my advice is don't worry about it. Just go live. And then if you do that, then something will inspire you. <laughs> cool. cool. Do you want to play another song right now? Sure. Cool. Let's do, uh, Right. 
tonight I don't need anyone to tell me I don't need anything to sell me to quell me compel me like you do and you do Awesome. Um, did your so you were in the Caulfields and you were yes. on a major label and Correct. you were on you know got a lot of airplay, um, and then your A and R guy got fired. I think that is true. <laughs> that is correct. I'm wondering if the uh, ending of that project gave you more of an appreciation for the abstract nature of music, if that makes any sense. Like sort of, you know, from it being less about being on TV and having airplay and things like that. Well, to be honest with you, I think I had that appreciation already because, I mean, I didn't at all expect the Caulfields to get a major record contract. I had been in, uh, like, the previous incarnation of the band, which was called The Beat Clinic, was actually way more focused at, you know, playing the industry game mm-hmm. of showcasing for labels and trying to send your demos out and get responses and that kind of thing. Uh, when we kind of switched, we switched names because we were basically kind of reconfiguring the band. We had some personnel changes, and I was kind of coming into my own as a songwriter at that point as well and um it was the first band where um i was actually able to write my own songs in their Mm -hmm. entirety because i didn't know how to play the guitar when (laughs) the band started yeah you know so i was basically always co-writing with the other members who knew how to play instruments. Mm -hmm. And so once I kind of built up my chord vocabulary on the guitar a little more and and learned how to play, then that's when my songwriting really kind of took a turn in in a very much more serious way. Mm -hmm. Like I considered, you know, the songs that we wrote uh, for the, so the Beat Clinic had two independent records that we put out and um you know those are kind of like the warm-ups <laughs> to being a real songwriter in my view yeah you know? um 
And so I think, you know, when the call field started, I mean, my only intention really was to, uh, you know, start writing these songs that were more serious, more introspective. Like I wrote a lot about, um, you know, my our hometown of Newark, Delaware, and um, I wrote a couple of songs which kind of helped me come to grips with my father's passing who had been gone since I was six and a half. Um, and so my, you know, that sort of abstract appreciation that you're talking mm-hmm. about was already kind of instilled. And to be honest with you, the, the call fields were probably, you know, we were really close to just throwing in the towel because we were not doing well, mm-hmm. you know, like the music, scene was not welcoming <laughs> to the kind of music we were doing because we were in Delaware we were basically playing uh sort of this hybrid of you know power pop and you know somewhat kind of punk influenced m- more in attitude than sound <laughs> um and it was just not really what was uh, in demand Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time and you know we were having also all kinds of problems because this is pre-internet mind you <laughs> Greg so uh, if you change your band name today <laughs> you can let pretty much anybody who gives a crap know mm-hmm. with one click of your you know your mouse or whatever <laughs> uh, we were having a lot of trouble getting people to know who we were oh you guys are them <laughs> Oh, I had no idea. Otherwise, I would have showed up to your show. Um, so it was a really kind of tough time, you know. Yeah. So really, the the music was all we had yeah. to keep us going. And then by a strange stroke of lucky events, uh, the wheels turned where we started to catch the attention of a local manager in Philadelphia, Deron Siegel, who was managing this guy, Matt Severe, who was at the time the the uh, the darling of WXPN, like the <laughs> biggest independent artist they had ever supported up to that point. Yeah. Uh, so we started opening shows for him, and Deron Siegel offered to uh, help us out. Not quite a, <laughs> I will manage you, but like, let me help you out kind of thing and uh they he basically steered me to uh this guy rudy rubini who was a a guy that i had known because he and his brother richie were in bands that we had played with Mm -hmm. um and i i just knew him from being around and rudy was a producer at the time and and he said get your tape to rudy he'll (laughs) he'll know what to do it all seemed very vague, but I, you know, I was willing to, you know, willing to go see Rudy, and Rudy loved our demo tape, which included uh, not studio recordings, but just yeah. like shitty home demos of songs that would eventually get us our record deal. The main example being Devil's Diary, which ended up being the Caulfield's mm-hmm. single. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he just so happened to have grown up next door to this guy, Mark Mazzetti, who worked at A&M Records in A&R <laughs> and was the A&R person for Sting and Janet Jackson and people like that. 
and so the ball just keeps <laughs> rolling and eventually the tape ends up in Mazzetti's hands he loves it I think he has uh, a desire to start signing bands mm-hmm. uh, because his role in A&R at the company I mean he did not sign these superstar artists that he was doing A&R for but he was definitely working with all of them but you know, it was time for him to go out and discover some groups of mm-hmm. his own. And I think the story of having a band that's basically from the little town in in Delaware where he grew up mm-hmm. was a good a good one. <laughs> um, and he came. Well, it was funny. He said, uh, "Well, I'd I'd love to fly to the East Coast and <laughs> see your next show. When's your next show?" And we were like, "We don't have any shows. <laughs> Nobody will book us." <laughs> Oh, well, get a rehearsal space, just do something, you know. So we, you know, we uh, got like a two-hour block at RPM on Delaware Avenue in Philly Mm -hmm. and set up and he came and we played our six songs (laughs) and that was it. You know, it was like the the most, you know, unbelievable way of a band getting signed. You know, most bands have to jump through like – the hoops of like four or five, six showcases. Okay, well, this guy liked you. Now you got to come up and play for the president. Yeah. You got to do that. <laughs> or they'll send Clive Davis down to see you, like happened with Silvertide, you know. Mm-hmm. With this, it was like, yeah, I want to sign you after hearing us play six songs in a rehearsal space. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the story doesn't really end there. Um, a, a few uh, the timeline is cloudy to me but um at some point later while you know the talks are going on with you know uh, how we're gonna structure the deal and all this uh rudy who was the guy that originally got the tape to mazzetti mm-hmm. died oh god um and i believe that he caught pneumonia like walking pneumonia from basically coming to see us play yeah in westchester it was like a very snowy night and you know we knew he was coming and he showed up like an hour and a half late and he came in and he was like all it was like a snowstorm mm-hmm. and he came in like he was only wearing like a suit jacket and he looked like you know like he had ended up that i guess he got lost he couldn't find the place that easily and it, it gave him this horrible pneumonia which un, you know unbelievably took his life mm-hmm. so here we are <laughs> you know now we're on a mission yeah you know like we have to make this record in honor of him yeah you know so and i think mazzetti felt the same and that's why he kind of like really pushed for us to get the deal yeah so nothing happened in any kind of normal way, is yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> so back to your original question again. Um, that appreciation was there before yeah. the label. It sounds like yeah. uh, very good timing, the fact that, you know, it did take a while because you, you know, reached that point almost, I would say, because of the lack of interest from major labels that... It's, I don't know. I feel like it maybe right. took well, your it, focus it, it away does, by the time. It does speak to the, the, uh, the mentality of, like, the less you 
give a crap, the better things will go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the more you try so hard to get something to go the way you want it, the less likely it is that it will happen that way. Yeah. Um, so, and that, and that, that's, that same mentality goes back to the whole inspiration thing, mm-hmm. you know, just let it happen, live yeah. your life, you know? And that's what we were doing. We were definitely not, expecting anything good to happen you know but we were enjoying writing i was enjoying writing those songs and we were enjoying kind of playing them because it was a transformation for the band like we felt like we were more in the sort of in the flow of what was actually happening out there Mm -hmm. you know like we felt a kinship with you know what was happening on a national level in terms yeah. of me- what what music was happening whereas uh you know the beat clinic was always sort of you know we were fun but we were one of those bands that basically existed in a uh what we used to call the 60 40 world where <laughs> you would basically always have the crutch of like almost half your show being covers <laughs> instead of like going out there and being like this is who we are this is our shit <laughs> like it or don't you know yeah so it, it was a it was a new kind of uh confidence that we had yeah and i was watching an interview recently where you i think sort of like half jokingly maybe referred to yourself at the time as an angry young man oh i was pretty angry <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i don't know what the context uh, was in the thing that you heard but um <laughs> You know, in my mind, I had a lot of reasons to be angry. You know? <laughs> but it was—it also is kind of a reflection of what I was listening to at that point as well. You know, like the first couple uh, Elvis Costello records were <laughs> very big uh, for me, and his his whole attitude kind of became my attitude in a way, um, and. You know, it was, uh, there was, it was just like a lot to, uh, for someone, I think when you're a certain age, you, you kind of look at the world in a, in a somewhat disdainful (laughs) way, you know, and there's, and there's reasons to look at the world that way right now, but I think I have had enough life experience to kind of see that there's, nothing's black and white yeah you know like there are definitely people that are deserving of disdain and scorn and and that kind of thing but um i think i have a better grasp at you know how it got to that situation like yeah. you know people are not like they don't spring forth fully formed just being like despicable and evil mm-hmm. shit happens to me <laughs> that way <laughs> so um but yeah, you know, I, I, there was definitely some anger back mm-hmm. then, but I feel I've, I've worked very hard to become a more Zen person. Yeah. I, th- I thank my mom for that, actually. Um, that kind of, I was going to ask about this, but that kind of now makes me want to ask about your tattoo, if oh, you don't mind, because sure. it's a really cool tattoo. Well, thank you. I'm very curious about it's it. It's the only one I have. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I got it, I'm going to, I'm trying to remember, probably around 2000 and er, <laughs> I want to say 2008, mm-hmm. eight or nine. Um, it's basically a representation of both halves of my heritage. Mm-hmm. 
you know, because I'm, so, I'm a, I'm a race mixer. Yeah. For all you Klansmen out there that want to come after me, I'm a race mixer. Um, yeah, my mom was full Korean, my father full Irish, mm-hmm. and so the tattoo, since this is an audio medium, yeah. <laughs> is a, a a yin and a yang, sort of a big black circle uh, with two shamrocks, mm-hmm. which where the where the little circles within the yin and yang would yeah. normally be. So that's my one and only tattoo. <laughs> cool. Um, I want to ask about. Uh, the song Into Philadelphia. It's a very popular sure. song, but I have a very specific question about it. Because sure. if I'm not mistaken, I could be way off, but I think I remember you saying it's about your son being born. Yes. Well, my son Inspired. being born is the backdrop of the song. Okay. Yes. Cause uh, I'm... And this is um, this is a story I tell often <laughs> in my songwriting class that I teach at Drexel University. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Basically, when uh, my son Sean was born in uh, 2004, um, he was uh, our second child. Mm-hmm. Um, our daughter was two and a half at that point. And um, like a lot of parents, um, I, I, I mean, I think this is probably true of all parents. You don't really know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, anybody who says that they do know what they're doing is probably fooling themselves, you know. <laughs> um, but I, I, I was sort of, uh, when you have another small child to take care of in addition to an infant, mm-hmm. um, the sleep deprivation factor <laughs> goes even beyond what it is when you have one baby. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and for whatever reason, he was not a... a uh, the kind of sleeper that <laughs> would, uh, you know, allow his parents any kind of <laughs> large uh, chunk of sleep at any one time. So um, I found myself uh, basically driving him around in mm-hmm. the middle of the night. Uh, a lot of times when you put a baby in a car seat, that's what will put him out. Mm-hmm. So uh, we found ourselves taking lots of trips in the middle of the night uh we had a had a honda odyssey minivan which um his mom still drives to this day (laughs) and um i think i remember that i think we had one here yeah (laughs) and uh in he would go in his car seat at you know i might start the drive at like one in the morning and we might not stop the drive until 3 30 or 4 in the morning because a lot of times you would drive and the kid would fall asleep. And the minute you stopped the car and tried to pull the car seat out and go back in. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm going to like take this to the limit, you know? Yeah. So, you know, full tank of gas in one night, who cares? You know, like, <laughs> so we would drive around and, um, we lived, uh, in Elkins park, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. which is, um, really part of like the first set of suburbs, just north of the um, city limits. So if you take Broad Street and you drive it all the way out of town, like mm-hmm. past Temple and North Philly and all those places, you get to Cheltenham and Elkins Park. And so one night, you know, um, f- this is probably like three in the morning. I've been driving for a while. Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't even conscious of like what turns I'm taking most of the time. <laughs> it's like, all right, light's green. I'm going to go straight. Or maybe I'll go left or right or whatever. And so 
one this one particular night I did something which I didn't often do, which is start driving into North Philly. <laughs> You know, it could be argued that that's not the smartest thing to do <laughs> at three in the morning. But there I was. And when when you are driving into North Philly, you kind of it's you're almost immediately in a different world, mm-hmm. you know, and um, sometimes you can see City Hall in the distance mm-hmm. with the, you know, in the, in the lights and everything. And um, so I started to think about uh what Philadelphia kind of represented to me, which was, you know, freedom in a way, mm-hmm. you know, uh, being able to go into the city was not an option uh, for for most of the time <laughs> when, when our kids were little. Yeah. You know, so like something that I took for granted before um, now was not available to me. And so um, the hook line, baby, do you want to take a ride into Philadelphia is like a literal. I never, it never occurred to me that it's a literal baby. It's a literal baby. Oh my God. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause I was always, I always had a thing in the early years of my songwriting, like never say baby unless it's a real baby. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like my way of, you know, mocking Robert Plant or something. I don't know. But uh, anyway, um, so that one line came to me, and that was the genesis of the song. Mm-hmm. And a, a few days later, I just had remembered it and just started kind of noodling around with a <laughs> melody for it. And, yeah. and that was it. Um, but, you know, I, I, I tend to say that the song is not about him or mm-hmm. about him being born. Uh, his birth is the inspiration and the backdrop mm-hmm. of a song that is actually about me <laughs> and how I'm feeling. <laughs> uh, to make it more self-centered and egotistical. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't really make that connection until well after the song was recorded and mm-hmm. released. You know, I was like, yeah, this is about my son. wrote it about my son. <laughs> And then I'm like really dissecting the lines. I'm like, oh, well, this is about me. <laughs> you know, you know, there's a thing. I, I mean, I can't remember any lines out of context, but, you know. <laughs> oh, it eats away at me until I'm starving is yeah. the second pre-chorus. So that, like, that's not about him. <laughs> that's about me. <laughs> you know, so. Um, so, yeah. That's 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 the, the long-winded story of yeah. how into Philadelphia came into being. Do you want to hear it? Probably the best, probably the best closer after a conversation um, like that. Well, I want to ask. I was going to ask what he thinks of that song. Is he ever like, oh yeah, a song that oh, I'm in he played on Ellen? It. He definitely. Um, I mean, he's not. It doesn't uh, consume his day yeah. thinking about it at oh, all. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, Sean is always. Um, both my kids, you know, they appreciate what I do, but they're not like intimately immersed in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, all through elementary school, like um, Sean would always ask me to come in and play for his class. Yeah, and so I think hearing me tell the story of the song, maybe he got a little kick out of that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, most most times, you know, um, he's he's very excited when the song comes on the radio. Yeah. Or, 
you know, if someone... Um, it was on Ellen recently, wasn't it? Well, was... not, yeah, not recently. A couple of years okay. ago, it was on Ellen, Yeah, um, which was pretty cool. Yeah. It was, it was pretty weird, actually. <laughs> Very unexpected. Like, I yeah. just got a... Like, I have no idea, like, how they found the song, mm-hmm. what made them want to use it. I have a theory. So the guest star on Ellen was Charlie Day, who is from It's Always Sunny. In yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess they were thinking, well, let's get a Philadelphia-themed <laughs> song that maybe won't cost as much as <laughs> Philadelphia Freedom or other, like, compositions uh, to license. And um, so I just got a letter from uh, the company that kind of like music supervises for the show Mm -hmm. and it's like we would like to use your song into philadelphia for an episode (laughs) of ellen blah 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 blah. and uh here's how much money we'll give you and you know that's all i needed to see yeah right i signed it and sent it back and that was that but like you know like no explanation as to like how they you know how do you know about this you know (laughs) yeah i mean in all likelihood i mean i know that um the cast of all it's always sunny has made a lot of appearances on WMMR mm-hmm. with Preston and Steve and maybe that's how they found out about it yeah I don't know I've seen them if rep other I, local I artists I owe a lot to uh, MMR and all the people over there and that's probably yet another thing I can thank them for <laughs> yeah and real quick you mentioned your you have songwriting classes that's really cool if you want to yeah. give a plug for it or well, talk I mean, about I, it I don't really <laughs> plug it per se yeah. because uh, well well Actually, I'll, sure, I'll plug it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I well, a... I mean, I, I, I am a uh, a songwriting instructor at yeah. Drexel University. Mm-hmm. It's it's a class that is designed as a requirement for people who are in the music industry major at Drexel. Oh wow! So, um, in that sense, I don't have to plug it because it's always yeah. You know, you, people, <laughs> Either way, people I just gotta think take it. Yeah, right. If, if they want to <laughs> graduate, yeah, but um. But I also I also do that kind of instruction privately outside of mm-hmm. the university. So mm-hmm. if there are any people that yeah. are looking to yeah. study the vast topic of songwriting, uh, give me a call. Yeah, <laughs> I, I meant it as a, I wasn't just trying to get you to plug. It. I meant it oh, as no. an earnest question too. So yeah. I figured I mean, well, it's a good opportunity. It's, it's a very interesting <laughs> gig because uh, teaching was never in my plans. Mm-hmm. Um, I had basically been uh just doing my thing in ike for a number of years and about 11 years ago now um marcy wagman who is a songwriter and entertainment attorney um and she is the person who originally um started the curriculum for the music industry major at Mm -hmm. drexel and she was teaching the songwriting class initially and her duties just became too uh, broad to enable her to keep teaching it. So she walked up to me at World Cafe Live one yeah. night. And I guess I had met her once before or twice before, but like we were not really like buddy buddy or anything. Mm. And she said, John Fay, how would you like to teach songwriting? Uh,. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds like a cool I've never, gig. I've never taught anything. Oh, it's fine. I'll just, you know, she gave me this big binder of all her lessons and yeah. stuff. And so 
over the years I've been able to kind of take all the parts that work for me from yeah. that and kind of like blend it into um into what I do. Yeah. And and to this to this day I think the the most hated part by the students of <laughs> her original uh course is that the final counts for 50%. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have stuck to because you know, I don't want anybody phoning it in at the end. Yeah. You know, sure. so if it's half your grade, you better damn well do a good job. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you would be a very so trusted. I, I think she was very smart to do that. Yeah. And, and I, I continue to do that. Uh, but yeah, so that, you know, pretty much if you look at the thread of all the things I've told you today, pretty much yeah. anything good that's ever happened was unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> and not sought after. <laughs> It sounds like good advice. Just wait for it to come to you. Uh, well, well, yeah, but don't, in in the sense of <laughs> don't do nothing. Don't do nothing. Yeah. Don't wait by doing nothing. <laughs> Live your life. <laughs> yeah. You know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's been a it's been a great experience for me because I've met so many talented up and coming people from that mm-hmm. experience. You know, I mean, there's so many awesome songwriters and musicians have been through the course you mm-hmm. know like i i don't dare take like any credit for their success but it still makes me feel good <laughs> yeah inside. like of course. Oh, I, that kid you know maybe one thing that i might have said or done might definitely have had the slightest influence <laughs> on them um i would think so which would be cool you know but you know some of them like you could tell from the first day like oh god <laughs> <laughs> Like, I have no right teaching this person. <laughs> they should be teaching me, you know? But, yeah. Cool. Is there anything else you want the world to know? Uh, we covered it all. I think we talked a lot. We yeah, did, definitely. We did a lot. So, do you want to hear one more? Wanna yeah, hear absolutely. All right. All right. <clears throat> Baby, do you want to take a ride? Want to take a ride into Philadelphia? Think I maybe wanna take a ride, wanna take a ride into Philadelphia, into Philadelphia. All the girls are fast asleep way back in no man's land in the Great escape 
Awesome. Thank you so much. Especially knowing the story behind it now, but now you have a little more. Yeah. <laughs> so reason, yeah. Another reason to love it. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. This was really awesome. Thank so you thanks. for having me. It's yes. been a lot of fun. Cool.